You know, most problems in healthcare are fixed already. Primary care is already cured on the fringes. Reversing burnout, physician shortages, bad business models, forced buyouts, factory medicine, high deductible insurance that squeezes the docs and is totally inaccessible to most of the employees. The big squeeze is always on for docs. It's the acceleration of cost and the deceleration of reimbursements. I want you to meet those on this show that are making a difference with host Ron Barshop, CEO of Beacon Clinics. That's me. It's the economy stupid won an election for Bill Clinton with a little help from Ross Perot. And if I were campaigning to lead reformation of primary care and healthcare by extension, my catchphrase would be it's the model stupid. This applies so much to what is wrong in healthcare. I'll give you a few examples. If primary care could have a worse model, I can't imagine it. In another episode, we'll actually score models so you can see how your business stacks up with actually a scorecard. Um, You simply couldn't do worse than primary care. It scores literally a one out of 12. The bricklayers are paid by the brick. The barbers are paid by the haircut. The only path to more pay lays laying another brick or cutting another head. The independent PCP is in the exact same bind. You can work longer or you can see them faster. Those are your two options. The average office visited about seven minutes today, 15 if they're lucky. Most have cranked up their hours as much as they can tolerate. So that leaves them with the factory medicine. See them faster. Get them in and get them out. It's a direct path to burnout. It's a sure fire path. And it's a bad model from 10,000 feet if you're just a business guy looking down. And you can't afford a scribe, which is often offered as a solution, because at 20 bucks an hour, they take up most of your profits. So is there a way out? In fact, there's two ways out. There's three ways out, in fact. And let me tell you the worst. Sell to the man for essentially nothing today. There used to be an EBITDA multiple, and that's gone. But hospital systems can double your take home the day you start with them because they get quadruple billing from what you pay or charging the insurance companies. It eliminates business hassles, and it'll... Expense pressures are essentially going away. All the regulatory stuff, billing, coding, it's gone. They can because they can charge, as I said, four times for the same things you were doing before. Tests, procedures, exams. But now you work for the man, so there's a whole new set of pressures I don't need to get into because everybody understands those. Option two, go to direct primary care route. DPC uh, typically takes on two to 500 getting started. These patients are typically willing to pay anywhere from 50 to 150 a month. So if you just take the middle ground, 500 to 100 bucks a month, that's a pretty good living you can make if you only have one other tech working in the clinic with you or maybe a manager. But you don't need biller coders anymore and you don't need a big staff. The DPC I interviewed on our last show uh, literally has no staff and 450 patients, but he only sees five a day. It's an easier gig. It's more free time. It's a throwback to the Marcus Welby days of the 60s and 70s, but DPC is clearly a model that works for a lot of doctors to make what they deserve without killing themselves and burning out. Except one little problem. Every DPC who had to abandon patients knows this is true. If they took on 500, they left 2,000 behind, twisting in the cold, cold wind. My favorite way out works really in virtually every primary care practice. If it has enough space, it requires no investment for most options. It requires no training for most options. 
and it won't mess with your workflow most options. And most importantly, it flips the model from a one to about a six or seven. So it changes the models significantly from worst in class to at least the middle of the pack because patients happily return when they get ancillaries added. They need these tests, they need these treatments. We particularly offer allergy, our guest day offers another set of services, and they are so happy that their PC makes their lives that convenient because the test can be done in the place they trust. Their cost is covered. There are 20 ancillaries like the allergy and like the guests we have today in verticals that we'll explore in future podcasts. The 20 ancillary services reimburse you nicely with your in-network carriers. If I'm less familiar with cash pay services, so I'm not going to be talking about Juvederm and Latisse today. That's a whole nother world. Today, you're going to meet a principal of one of the best, and they check all my boxes for risk assessment, patient outcomes, really focused on doing the right thing by the doctor by reducing every possible risk they can. Chess Williams is not only a friend, but he's a principal of Frontera Strategies, one of the earlier players in the ancillary world. And so therefore, they're in six states now. I can't wait to celebrate the day they make it into uh, a whole lot more. So Chess, let me uh, welcome you to the show. Glad to have you. Well, thanks for having me, Ron. Glad to be here. I hope I can add, add some value here to the conversation. You, the, the start was pretty impressive. So Chess, I'm really uh, glad you said that. I, in my opinion, there are lots of ancillary firms out there, but most of them are mercenaries. The missionaries in the world are guys like Frontera Strategies, like you and your two partners, because you guys are focused on patient outcomes. You guys are focused on doing the right thing by the doctor from a risk profile. And you, you're only all about quality. You don't cut corners. So really uh, hard to find models like yours where it's not all about money, 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 money. You agree with that? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. I think they're, you know, I, I jokingly refer to some of the players in the industry. It's kind of this whole healthcare whack-a-mole <laughs> situation where, where there are operators out there that are just looking for ways to game the system, um, make as much money as they can. Once one of them figures it out, then you get this proliferation of, of moles that pop up all over town. We've got, you know, multiple examples that we could probably discuss if you wanted to. And then ultimately the payers kind of get wise to it and start whacking the moles and they, they go away. Um, you know, I think that our philosophy has been, we're not, we're not trying to game the system or hit home runs every day. We're just trying to do good, honest work and, and hit singles every day and just do the right thing by, by doctors and their, and their patients. And in the long run, we think that, you know, that that's the winning model and it's allowed us to, to be in business for gosh, almost, I guess, 20 years now. You know, I think, there's something when I first joined this world that you've been in for 20 years, 10 years ago, I noticed that there was a mistrust of business people getting into healthcare because they just got to be all about the profits, baby. You know, they're not, uh, they're, they're crass commercial, commercial business guys. They're not physicians with outcomes in mind. Did you face that in the beginning too? Um, I, w- I would think so. Yeah. That definitely was some people that, you know, they're quite frankly, 20 years ago, I think, and we can get into that. I'm sure at some point during the, during the show, but they're really, at least in the primary care market, there weren't a lot of people bringing in, you know, ancillary services into a, a, a physician practice. So immediately you were met with some skepticism and and concern and, and maybe just not understanding exactly why you're even having that conversation with them. And you're a business guy and you're wearing a suit and immediately the, the walls go up. But over time, I think, you know, we're all about trying to build trust and, and do the right thing. And 
it's got maybe got a little bit different, but yeah, there's always that trepidation and, and fear. So we can start at kind of one-on-one with Frontera. Set up the problem Frontera is solving and why you even started this uh, company as a solution. Yeah, so really originally being a kind of a, in the technology industry for a long period of time, and then transitioning into to looking for opportunities in, in healthcare. I think my partners and I were looking for for op- different opportunities in areas of pain in healthcare, and where where we thought we could maybe solve some problems. And one of the you know the, the problems that we identified early on is that you know primary care has a host of problems, but it, even back then it was. Uh, salaries are kind of stagnant, uh, if not going down. They're having to see more patients just to keep the, the lights on. Um, expenses were going up and you're having this, this you, you talked about it earlier, just burnout. And it seemed as though um, primary care, a lot of them were relegated just to seeing, you know, the, just the very, very simple stuff and everything that was even remotely complex had to be referred out because that's just what they were relegated to doing. And so it's very rare that you would find primary care doctors that were doing other anything other than just a traditional office visit, whether it be a, a you know a well visit, coughs, sniffles, flus, anything above that is just hey well, I got to send that out to my buddy because that's that's above my you know above my pay grade or above my license so all that all goes out and we thought hey if there's a way we can empower certain doctors just to be able to you know pick pick and choose the right things that they could do and bring them back in their office. We thought that there was a real opportunity to do that. And so with, uh, with some research, we, we found what we thought was, you know, to start the business was an appropriate test uh, for primary care um, that we began offering. We can get into that too, whenever you'd like. Well, um, you and I both know the story of a gentleman in the middle of nowhere, Texas, who started a family practice with a couple of thousand square feet. And when I met him, he was at 12,000, maybe 14,000 square feet, of which the vast majority were ancillaries. His net take home on a good year was $2 million, but he didn't have to work that hard. So sometimes he scaled it back and dialed it back to $1.4 million, $1.2 million. And he showed me his tax returns. This, this is his take home I'm talking about, not his gross. How did he do it? His primary care practice was secondary to his ancillaries. And what he viewed ancillaries as was the not only the main business, but a giant convenience factor so that they wouldn't have to go to a specialist to get that workup. So virtually any workup you and I can think of, maybe outside of some rare things like podiatry or psychiatry, but those workups can be done mostly in primary care. And your firm decided to take uh, a few of those on. So I want to hear what are the verticals that you've taken away from this? So the specialists don't like you. Well, it's interesting you say that because that was, I will tell you, one of the first uh most, I guess the most common objection we had, not only from primary care doctors kind of being afraid, if you will, to send, you know, to do these tests in their office. And I'll, I'll talk about them specifically here in a moment. But, you know, uh, the specialist saying, hey, you're taking my referral base away. So when we when we first started, we really tried to identify what, what are things that are being sent out of a primary care office and, and, and naturally you know, cardiovascular disease is, is a number. I mean, gosh, it's got to be very, you know, top of the list. So inevitably you found that anybody comes to their doctor with even, you know, vague chest pain or family history, smoking history, maybe they're sedentary or, or obese, they would automatically be sent out. So we did some research and found what we thought would be a perfect way to kind of solve that issue and really help 
the primary care doctor be a better gatekeeper. So we began um, using technology that was at the time widely found in, in large hospital systems like Mayo, for example, or research facilities. And we the, this, the test that we began offering into a primary care office was a cardiopulmonary exercise test. And it was really the only test that could combine assessments of a patient's heart, their lungs, and their fitness level and give the primary care doctor enough information to decide, do they even really need to be referred out or are they just deconditioned? Do they have a heart issue that warrants further evaluation or is it a lung problem? And by using this, this technology and this test, uh, along with one of our qualified uh, exercise, clinical exercise physiologists that we would send into the primary care doctor's office to conduct the test, it was just very, very successful. It gave them all this wonderful, relevant information that they could then kind of take control, take control back over that patient and really figure out who should I be sending out of my office in the first place and who can I continue managing here? And that's kind of how we got our start. You know, the Gallup poll for the last 20 years I've been following um, rates the most trusted professions in America and usually uh, used to be the popo and the firemen. Firemen are still up there, but the popo fallen way down for no good reason. But the number one and number two are nurses and doctors. So my, it sounds a little crass to say this, but the 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 trust factor is such a big part of a patient's experience. They don't necessarily want to go to a allergist in our case. They don't know, or to in your case, go to a pulmonary pulmonologist or cardiologist. They don't know. They don't know the staff. They don't want to do a whole new file, you know, and fill out all that paperwork all over again. And they know and trust this. They, they know the team. They know the, they know how it all, how the game is played. So you bypass that by saying, well, you don't need to go do that anymore. Um, so you didn't upset the specialist is what you're saying. Yeah. They, I mean, I think once the specialist really understood what we're doing for this, for the subset of patients that we're dealing with, what I call them kind of the worried well folks, they're not, you know, patients that have known disease that are already under the care of a specialist. They're kind of the middle-aged people that may have a couple of, of mild systems, uh, symptoms or risk factors. And that's who we're really catering to. And, and our research indicated that most of the time when the, the a primary care would send that patient out to a specialist, oftentimes they would ultimately find their way back to the primary care anyway. And, and so why, why go through all the hassle of sending that patient out you know, oftentimes a patient would, wouldn't even come back, you know, so if they're referred out to a specialist, for, for example, for a cardiac workup, they may end up staying with a specialist and, and never making their way back. So you think about, you know, would a, would a barber refer you out to another barber for, you know, another, you know, advanced haircut? No, you'd want to keep them in your own practice as much as possible. It doesn't make a lot of sense when you don't have to send them out, don't send them out. If we can empower you to do more and do just like an amazing comprehensive workup in your practice and give you the data you need to make the right decision, then, then man, that's a home run for the doctor. So when I think of your firm, I think of nerve tests, I think of cardio and pulmonary tests. You do a lot more than that, though, don't you? Yeah, so it's re we're really focused on, on three uh, modalities. One uh, we mentioned is a, is a really comprehensive cardiopulmonary exercise test. We use this uh, metabolic cart. Uh, we put it in a specialized uh, van. We wheel it into a doctor's office. It fits in a normal exam room, and we bring it, uh, bring in an exercise uh, bike with that. And really, if you think about a traditional 
stress test, this is a stress test on steroids. We're basically measuring the oxygen that the patient uh, is consuming, not only at rest, but during exercise and post-exercise. So we're basically taking all the elements of a cardiac stress test, adding some pulmonary and physiological measure measurements to it, and it makes it a far more accurate test. Um, certainly more specific, which means if the patient comes, you know, if we get a, a normal result from that, we can say with a super high degree of certainty that the patient is completely fine and they definitely don't need to be referred out. And it's also more sensitive. So it's more sensitive than your traditional treadmill test, meaning if, it, if we pick up something that looks to be abnormal, then we have a higher degree of uh, confidence that that is the case. So we, we run those types of tests. No longer do you, you know, if you need the routine stress test, I went through this whole process not that long ago where my, my internal medicine doctor said, hey, you're, you're about to hit a big milestone age. You need to go get a stress test. And I, I kind of secret shopped a, a specialist. And, and had they been using somebody like us, they wouldn't have had to do that. Um, if that makes sense. And then, so we, from that point on, we're looking at other things that the doctors send out. Sonography is something sent out quite often. Echocardiograms, for example, just look at imaging of the heart, your carotid artery for heart attack and stroke prevention. Um, really all kind of different body parts that we can scan. We do that with a separate team of, of qualified technicians. And then we also do uh, nerve conduction and EMG testing. So really three modalities exercise testing, sonography, and nerve conduction that we can bring in on a fractional basis really to, to any doctor's office. So I'm, in hearing, I'm hearing internal medicine. I'm also hearing family practice. What other physicians do y'all find in your sweet spot? It, I would say a lot of you know primary care and internal medicine, they're sending out tons of, of these tests every single day. So we really work well with them. There are some other specialists that we work with, such as endocrinologists that have uh, large populations of diabetic uh, patients that certainly can benefit from these things. Um, we even do a lot of uh, preoperative clearance for doctors. So we can either do them for the surgeons directly, or oftentimes the surgeons will send them back to the primary care doc, and we can do a really comprehensive workup on the patient that's going to make sure with a very high degree of certainty that, certainty that that patient is healthy enough to, to undergo you know, a surgical procedure and have a great outcome. So I want to ask a policy kind of macro question, then get back to the specifics of your model. Just the um, statement I'm about to make, true or false, if more PCPs had more ancillaries in their office, we would not have as much corporate medicine forced buyouts. Am I, would you agree that's true or false? I would say that absolutely. That would be the case. So this monologue I gave or rant, whatever you want to call it before the show, was really about ancillaries. And DPC are the solutions to corporate medicine and corporate forced buyouts. People having to sell because they're just fed up. And uh, you and I both know dozens of doctors that are fed up. Uh, you can call them burned out too. But well, you, if, it's if, interesting if, you say that you, when you talk about burnout, that implies speed. Uh, I think the stat you, you cited earlier was the, uh, the typical office visit was seven minutes. It, you really can't do, you can't do a good assessment on a patient in, in seven minutes. What, what having uh, ancillary services available helps that physician really just slow down and, and take more time with their patient and do a more comprehensive job of, of really understanding what's going on with that patient and not just trying to see them and, and get through and see the next 40 patients for the day, but which is kind of what they have to do just to make, keep the lights on. 
So if, when you have all these different services available, you can really slow down and be a better doctor. Practice at the top of your license. Love that. Great. Well put. So just the um, back to your model again. I now bring you guys in. Do I need to set aside a discrete room for you exclusively? Do you need it on Thursdays every other week? What's what is my space requirements? Because that seems to be my number one hitch in my get along is most yeah. of my doctors who want me can't find the exam room for me. So it, it re- yes, that, no, that's that's something that that's tough to overcome if the doctor if every single room is being used, you know, every hour of the day, it makes it too difficult to bring in somebody like you or me for for that matter. We we kind of come and go uh, depending on on the need of the practice. So if you feel that you would only have a couple patients here and there, you call us and we'll find a time to come in when you have a room open. We'll do our testing setup for that you know amount of time. We'll do our stuff and then we'll leave. We have other doctors that say, hey, we we have an extra room. We'd like you here more often. We'd like to for you to lease maybe and have exclusive use of a space. We can certainly do that and be there five days a week if needed. We'll right size it just depending on what the needs of, of the customer are. You know, it's it's this the odd thing about your model is different from mine is you're relying on the doctor to schedule a full day for you. So you're gonna you're gonna invest time and energy and equipment not used elsewhere to this dedicated office for X hours, maybe the whole day. But the doctor's now got to line up you know, the patients to fill your day and patients are notorious for not showing up. How do you get around that problem? You know, we're, we're, um, that's, that's a great, you know, I think it was you, as a matter of fact, that it, that it described, uh, my model and other people that kind of employ my model as a show up and hope (laughs) strategy, which is a tough thing to do. So what, what we really try to do is understand what kind of patients the physician thinks would be appropriate for this type of testing. And then, we can use different uh, types of technology to identify all those people that are coming in on a given day or even do some forecasting in the future to determine who are appropriate candidates. And we'll try to line up as many of those people that are that match up to an evidence based guideline that suggests it's appropriate to have a stress test, for example, or an echocardiogram or what have you. And really just try to match up to ensure that we're, you know, that we are completely utilized when we're there. It's good for us, it's good for the patient, and it's good for the provider. All right, you may not be able to answer this question, but is there an income range the docs can expect if they do you know, your minimum offering versus your maximum offering? Is there some kind of a 2,000 you know, really, to 10,000 or is it higher or yeah, lower? I mean, that's a great question. It really kind of depends on, on the, the, the model that we employ. They're, they're typically compensated as a function of the amount of time that we're there uh, because we do require supervision of our team while we're there. Um, it, it can range from, you know, hundreds of dollars a month to, to several thousand dollars a month, just depending on, on how busy we are and what kind of work that they're, they're offering us. Okay. So I don't know, that's assume... kind of vague, but it's just, yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you a lot of doctors, I mean, they just, they love being able to do this type of stuff in their office. I think any type of revenue that they earn because they do, have to perform duties associated with having this test in, in the office, although it's nothing complicated. But, um, you know, the ben- I think there's all the tangential benefits are huge, whether it's what we do, what you do, what other ancillary service providers do. I think it's just all those benefits are, are extraordinary to a practice if they'll really, you know, start employing some of these different services in their office, whether it's using an outside person like us or even doing it on their own. So how would healthcare change if Frontier was in every office it should be in? 
You know, I, I think, you know, that's a great question. You would see, you would see a couple of things from a, from a patient perspective, you would see really good convenience and uh, satisfaction. So you're not being bounced around all over town. You can go kind of a one-stop shop. Um, and I think that's, that, that's huge. You don't end up at, at a really expensive place having tests that are, that are unnecessary. You go to your, your primary care doctors, which is where you should be, and you work with them to, to ensure that you're getting the right type of testing. And I think that that's a, a huge, would be a huge benefit. Uh, from the primary care doctor's perspective, I think that they're just they're going to see happier patients. They're going to see compliance go up because they're going to know whether or not patients are following through with their orders. And ultimately, you should see a significant savings uh, in just the, the system because we're not having patients that are leaking out to all these very expensive places for for different things when they could have had it done where they need to have it done at that primary care doctor's office. So I think you would just see a large amount of savings in, in the uh the industry. What is your uh, and your two partners' biggest challenge you have right now? <laughs> That's generally speaking, or just with the business. Well, you besides know, your two partners being your challenge, what other yeah, challenges well, do the three of y'all yeah. face? Like you've you got something you could be fifty states. What's hot, what's preventing you from growing? Well, you know, I, I, I mean, I, as you very well know, that you know, consolidation in the markets it's difficult to to contend with. We've had situations where we've worked, you know, with some doctors for, for a period of time. And then for one reason or the other, they may wave the, the white flag and then join us a system and become that employed doc and start working for the man. And that that's a difficult thing to deal with. There's a lot of pressures going on, you know, a lot of pressure in the, in to, to, to really just create consolidation. So the independent guys, it's getting tougher and tougher to remain independent. That's really one of our our mission in life is to help them remain independent. So that's tough. I think payers um, can sometimes be a challenge in terms of creating hurdles to have necessary testing, just creating, you know, an environment where you have to have everything pre-authorized, no matter what, even if the doctor says, Hey, there's a legitimate reason to have the, the test done. They create a lot of hurdles uh, and, and really declining, declining reimbursements is it's very challenging. I mean, reimbursements don't tend to go up, even though premiums go up, you know, double digit increases pretty much every year. Reimbursements seem to go down. I've never understood that math. Maybe you can explain it to me. But no, it's, it's simple math. Sense. You've got you've got basically two percent of the cost of of healthcare overall. The three trillion dollar spend, two percent is primary care payouts. And by taking two, and let's call it let's be generous, call them five percent by including nurses and PAs and everybody else. If you take five percent and you cut them five percent. Uh, every year, You're, you, the, the fractions I can't even do is it a 0.0125 percent? It's not even measurable. So the savings that it's creating for, you know, the healthcare system, if you will, are negligible. Whereas that's not the case with hospitals; they can just kind of charge whatever they want for many of these procedures and get away with it. Uh, that's a whole other topic, and I want to talk to you about policy in another visit another time because you and I have a lot to talk about. Um, but let's talk about what people should be reading, listening to this podcast. They want to know more about either adding ancillaries or a new model for primary care. What what books do you like that you think would be a good read? I haven't found any out there. 
you haven't found any, huh? Well, the, the things that I do to t- kind of keep up with what's going on in the industry, I, I look at the, uh, it's the, I think this is the weekly gist. I think it's from uh, Chas Rhodes and uh, I think her name is Lisa Balamowicz, I believe, MD. It's a weekly uh, newsletter that I find quite fascinating that you can sign up for. I think it's called the Daily Gist, actually. It's really good. And then Rock Health Weekly is another one that I sign up for. If you're wanting to know what is going on, really just in healthcare in general. And then I follow people on Twitter. Dave Chase is a good one. I listen to your stuff. I, I look at your LinkedIn profile, your LinkedIn postings a lot. I think you've got great information. I learn more from that than I do a lot of things. Um, those are a couple of things that my go-to things, I guess, Ron. Well, Chess, let me say, not only are you very handsome, you're also very smart. <laughs> well, no, that's, that's a stretch. <laughs> the smarter, yeah. the handsome. Yeah, I don't know, both. Yeah. <laughs> All right. In a sentence, you get to fly a banner over America. What is your message to all the PCPs listening in today? Uh, that's a great question. Let's see. I would say if we, could, if we could even help one physician improve their ability to care for their patients and increase the likelihood that they can keep their practice afloat by partnering with us, we consider that a small victory. Okay. Well, if I'm a doctor and I want to reach out to you because I've heard how handsome and smart you are, What's the best way to reach you, Chess? I would uh, pull up our website. It's uh, www.teamfrontera.com, T-E-A-M-F-R-O-N-T-E-R-A.com, and you can drop me a line there. Great. Okay. Um, I'll look forward to our next visit. There's a lot more to talk about with you. Thanks again, Chess. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You want to shake things up? There's two things you can do for us. One, Go to primarycarecures.com for show notes and links to our guests. And number two, help us spotlight what's working in primary care by listening on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribing and leave us a review. It helps our megaphone more than you know. Until next episode.